Welcome to the Shack 15 Conversations podcast, where we invite founders, innovators, and changemakers to share ideas with the community, speak to the experience of building their businesses, and unlock some of the hard-earned wisdom collected along the way. In this episode, we'll join our moderator, Jesse Martinez, founder of Latinx Startup Alliance and head of the Innovate Mass program, the gentleman actively cultivating the next generation of US-based Latino-led startups by providing access to opportunity, community, mentorship, and investment. Jesse will lead us in conversation with Laura Moreno, founder of PandaCap, the financial media platform focused on leveling the playing field and creating equal access to financial insights with curated, aggregated, bilingual market intelligence. As Mitch Kapoor once said, genius is equally distributed across zip codes. Access and opportunity are not. Laura is the former managing director of new listings and capital markets with NASDAQ, and today channels her passion for creating a resilient, equitable world into her work creating access to economic parity for minority groups across all backgrounds. Enjoy. Let's get started. So I have the honor and pleasure to see a dear friend, Laura Moreno. Thank you for joining us this evening. You know, we've known each other for quite some time, pre-young daughter, pre-NASDAQ, and also as Latin entrepreneur doing some amazing work. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. I feel like um, we need some like Latin music playing <laughs> introduction. Hola, como estas, familia? <laughs> what an amazing introduction. And I'm so excited and congratulations, Jesse, on all your efforts with creating such an amazing platform. I'm excited to be the first to share stories here on the platform at Shoot 15 for Innovate Mass. And, you know, I'm excited to also uh, see the others that are going to come after me because I think, you know, everybody says it's a great platform and we need to share our voices, in, not only in the Latinx community, but really across, you know, all diverse backgrounds. So I'm excited to be the first to share it. For me, it's important. It was important to have you in this conversation because we've seen what's going on with it with respect to businesses and small business owners, but the stock market continues to do well. And so, you know, as the founder of PandoCap and the amazing work that you're doing there, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to that shortly, you know, given your background with NASDAQ and how you led some amazing IPOs uh, for here for the Bay Area, you know, such as Lyft, also Beyond Meat. So, you know, there, there's a long list there. And I thought it was very special that as a woman, as a Latina, that we highlight the work that you've been doing and then more importantly, highlight the work that you're doing now and ensuring that we provide equal access to these uh, financial markets so that all of us can participate and also be part of that upward mobility. Let's take a step back and just talk about uh, who you are and then your upbringing and then bring it to current date so that people that are listening can uh, get a better understanding of who you are and what you've been doing. Of course. So a little bit about me. I was born in Guadalajara, Mexico. So I am as 
they would say in Mexico, a tapatia. When you're from Guadalajara, you're a, a tapatia. So came over to the U.S. when I was around seven years old and then was back and forth. I, I still have all my extended family in Mexico. My immediate family is here in the U.S. So when my family came over here, they settled in a lovely little town called Vacaville, which is not too far from San Francisco. So I went to school there. I you know, did high school there. Very uh, tight niche community. As a matter of fact, to this day, I still stay in touch more with my high school friends than I do with my college friends. So really tight niche. And, and actually during these times with the fires, it's been wonderful to have um, a lot of those people still close to me to help support. After, you know, going to, to college, I decided initially, so I went to college for criminal justice, which is interesting that it's such a topic of discussion today, right? Because criminal justice system has not been reformed for so long. And being having that perspective and actually going through the system myself um, from, you know, getting the bachelor's and and actually participating in the process because I had to do a lot of at-risk programs, going to you know ride-alongs, doing a lot of work with the police departments and seeing their what they actually do. So that was an interesting situation. So I wanted to go into the FBI. So I had this big dream of being an FBI agent after after college. And so right after college, I you know, put my mindset to that and applied and went through the process. And of course, they told me right off the bat that I didn't have any experience. So um, they encouraged me to go out and either join the military, become a police officer. They hire a lot of CPAs and lawyers. Mm -hmm. So um, they encouraged me to, you know, continue my my degree and, and see what I could do. So I kind of found myself a little lost, to be honest with you. And at this time, I was in San Diego. And I was a little lost because I didn't know, okay, well, that was my dream. I went to school for criminal justice. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And shortly after that, I got an opportunity at an organization called uh, First Allied Securities, which is a broker dealer in San Diego. And that is pretty much what changed my life because going into working for a broker dealer at the time that I did, and this was like right early 2000s, right during the dot-com, right before the burst, Bust. That is the, the burst bust. <laughs> yeah. So I've seen a lot of different cycles in the financial industry that allowed me to see, oh my gosh, what is this? You know, what's Wall Street about? What's that was my first peek into how much money was flowing through the financial markets. And I was directly responsible for paying all of our all of our brokers. So there was over, I think at the time, 5,000 brokers that were registered with First Allied Securities. And I would actually take all their information on all the transactions that they were doing and figure out their payments and how to pay that, that to them. So eventually, you know, I moved up the ladder there. I actually got registered. And so again, saw just like all aspects of, of the financial markets from compliance to operations to trading. Um, I ended up, my last role there was in uh, helping them understand a new technology that was going to be launched across the United States to all these brokers. And sure enough, the, the company was a startup here in San Francisco, FinTech startup called Extiva. They plucked me away and said, hey, we want you to you know come over and, and join our startup and that's what led me into the start fintech startup world again still really tied to the financial markets so that 
you know, created massive opportunity for me. I, I lived in New York for a while, then came to San Francisco, traveled all across the U.S., met with a lot of banks, hedge funds, investment advisors. And then from there, just kept going, moved into another organization called SunGuard. And I actually ended up joining SunGuard right when the financial market crash happened in 2008, 2009. Mm. And I joined that, that company and it was interesting how these inflection points happened till today, right when the financial markets crashed, but I joined them to run their compliance division. So I was working in compliance. So one of the opportunities that I had there was to, to sell compliance to all of these banks, hedge funds and investment advisors to check the box to make sure that they were automating all of the things had to do with insider trading. Of course, it was needed. It was something that had to happen. So it gave me a big opportunity to, you know, actually work with a lot of these different organizations and bring value to them around a compliance aspect. Again, another side of the financial markets, right? And then after that, again, I was with them for about four years, enjoyed it very much, did so well. Then I moved on to TD Ameritrade, similar type of function, uh, but working with larger organizations to really have them use more of TD's assets. And then all along the way, um, I will tell you all of the men, because it was very male dominated, would laugh at me when I traveled everywhere because I would bring a big suitcase with me. <laughs> I'd all, and I always had, you know, as a Latina, I had to have my shoes, all my clothes, all, you know, for day and night, all the conference. And this was when they were doing big conferences back then. And so one of the things that they would always laugh at me about was like my fashion. Well, I love fashion. I'm a self-taught designer. I've always enjoyed fashion. I've always made sure that, you know, I, I present myself the best I can. And so after working in the financial markets for, I guess at that point, it was like, I don't want to date myself, but really like over 10 years, I decided I was going to do something different. And I took the risk and I started a company called Lolly Designs that was just really me designing a lot of my own fashion and, and pulled everybody in. I got everybody involved. I got my girlfriends wearing it. This is right when social media really started taking off. And next thing I know, you know, I have all my girlfriends involved and I, I become an entrepreneur in the fashion industry and I get a co-founder and we were, I think right at the same time as Stitch Fix going out with that whole personalized subscription approach. Right. And that, you know, when we started working together um, in an accelerator, and that really offered me a new perspective on what venture capital is. And so that was a different, you know, a different aspect for me because venture capital is a whole new ballgame on capital markets. And that's really what I'm focused on today is the capital markets. So one of the things that was really interesting in that is going through that process and having access to capital and really going through VCs and trying to get funding as a woman and an entrepreneur and really have it being many doors shut. Right. Yeah. And so after I exited um, that um, sold the business and um, after I exited that, that, I really looked at what was the challenges that I had in that. And some of the challenges that I had was a lot around um, technology and the platform that I needed to really thrive 
um, as an entrepreneur. So that's when I started working with Salesforce a little bit and then eventually transitioned over to NASDAQ. At NASDAQ, um, there was a lot around the capital markets that was really new to me. And it's, it's really interesting because unless you're in the capital markets and, in the, and understand how an IPO works, I had one of the uh, chairmen say to me, you'll always be the smartest person in the room when you're taking company public because 99% of the time, many people don't know what, what it takes to take a company public. Right. And so after going through and, and taking some of the biggest names, as you said, public like Lyft, Beyond Meat, Other Real Real, um, and some of the big biotechs, I decided this year to venture out on my own and started PandoCap, which is a platform that gives a simplified version of the capital markets to everybody. So long story, but uh, you know, that brings us to, to where we are today. Yeah, well, no, thank you for sharing your story and your background. I know that's a super like condensed version and there's a lot there. <laughs> there's, there's a lot there. And so I think the first question is, you know, as you mentioned, there was a, a lot of men in the field that you were in. And so, you know, what, what are some of those uh, mentorships that you, you gained in your journey? Because there weren't very many women. You know, it, I did have a lot of mentors and, and to this day, those mentors are still my friends and they brought me along to, to where, I, where I am today. I think it was always just supporting me to the next phase, right? And helping me understand where I, I just didn't know the answers. So right. for, for Latinos and specifically, you know, we're very, we're very conditioned to save. Like my family saves, save. They don't invest, they save because they wanna understand that when there's a situation like the pandemic, like uh, you know something that's gonna impact you like that, you have that nest egg. Um, so that translation came for me when I started working in the fi financial markets because I started seeing that yes, you can save and you can invest, but you have to have a certain risk tolerance to understand where you're going to invest. So the very minimal thing I would encourage everybody to do is obviously just max out your 401k. And, you know, right now with the pandemic, I look back at all the 401ks I had, and unfortunately I have them all over the place, but at least I have that, mm -hmm. you know, to fall back on. And then the second thing is, is really follow, you know, there's two, two areas, not only looking at what you can easily have access to on, on things like a 401k, but the, the second part is, you know, capitalism, like as an entrepreneur, it's, you know, there's people that are going to invest in you and, and how you participate in that along the way and see entrepreneurs grow and understand and research companies. And that's a lot of the work that I did at NASDAQ. I, I researched everything about all the organizations, all the people involved, all of, you know, from the founder story to the board, to all of the um, investors. Um, and everything that's behind what they're bringing to the table. And then, you know, once you, you understand the companies, then you see everything from the competitive landscape. And when they get to a certain, a certain peak in the, you know, in revenue and everything that they have to go public, then you're able to make a decision. Well, this is something that is really important. I think it's going to make an impact on the public markets, and then you can invest in it. And today there's opportunity to invest because there's so many platforms that have been brought to the table that allow people to invest in a very minimal way, um, like Robinhood, you know, fractional shares, Schwab is doing it now, 
um, there's a lot of opportunity to invest in, in these types of things. And, and all of the education is out there. And there's a lot of market data that supports those decisions so that you can easily understand it. And so for me, I wanted to, again, share that information with, mm. with the world. So um, that's one of the things that, you know, I'm doing now with PandoCap. Yeah, and can you share, you know, with the audience, like what PandoCap is and then what makes it different? Yeah, so, so what happened, obviously, to the entire world with the pandemic is obviously when, when the shutdown happened, uh, there was the big downturn that occurred. And, you know, I think everybody saw the downturn and said, okay, well, this is, you know, obviously because of the, the pandemic and the shift happened. And so for me, it was understanding what was happening with the shift. Where was the money going? Um, so you saw that a lot of mon money got moved over to tech because that was an enabling us to continue to work, right? You saw Zoom just skyrocket. You saw Apple. And today, you know, you, you, what big investors usually uh, consider it as the fame, which is when you talk about um, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. So a lot of that money got moved over into the FANG and, and tech got really heavy as well as, as healthcare and biotech because a lot of that was still continuing to thrive. So as I saw this shift happening in, in the markets, I started thinking, well, how is this possible? And how, are, how is the market recovering so quickly when there's massive job losses, right? We're still shut down. We don't have a vaccine. Mm -hmm. There's all of these impacts that are happening on, on the economy. But what was happening was that Wall Street was separating itself. Right? It was moving six to, to you know, nine months ahead, which is, it's always forward looking. Markets are always considering what's going to happen in six um, to nine months from now. And so it was taken into consideration that we were going to be sheltered in place. It was pretty much putting... 2020 behind it and saying what's going to thrive in 2021 because a lot of companies weren't able to give guidance. And so to me, seeing that transition where Wall Street was moving so in the other direction and, you know, a lot of people who had liquidity and had access to capital was moving with it, but yet you have an entire community that wasn't participating, was losing jobs, and was wondering where they were gonna get their next paycheck to pay their rent. <laughs> I was like, okay, I have to do something about this. And so I immediately started building content um, to share information on what was driving the capital markets and what was driving a lot of that momentum. And not from a perspective of you know, sharing where to invest, but really what was moving and what were the things that would be an opportunity for people to think about as we progress through the pandemic. And then I think what took it to really the next level was the civil unrest that happened. Um, and, you know, a lot of companies coming out and sharing their positioning to support the black and brown community and get behind entrepreneurs that, that are black or brown or, or come from a diverse background. So I think those two things combined and me being a Latina entrepreneur in the financial markets um, offered me an opportunity to not only share my expertise, but also help provide some guidance to companies who wanted to participate in that narrative of diversity and inclusion.
That's great. I mean, there's, you know, it's always about being able to provide information to others. And when we think about, you know, diverse communities, it's how do we share that knowledge, right? And how do we bring others along with us? And so I applaud you for doing the work that you're doing. And then, you know, for those that are in the audience, you can go to Pando cap.co and then there's also uh you know it's a bilingual series as well and so when we think about you know building that foundation and making that start of how do we educate others and share the knowledge that each of us have and help empower them you know as we move forward yeah and and i've been you know very fortunate to have some other people join me along the way so we are international i i have a, somebody that is in mexico city so she's handling a lot of the bilingual content for any companies that are interested in showcasing in Latin America. Um, so a lot of a lot of content she'll you know obviously translate into Spanish, and um, and then you know again companies in Latin America that that want to share their accolades in the U.S., which there are a lot right now. We just saw you know a company in Mexico City raise 10 million, which was you know highlighted in the us which is something that you don't see very often so yolo chat i'm very proud of those entrepreneurs for their um success so it's it's really right. great that um having that you know cross-border communication and and being able to to innovate that way yeah i think every time i think it was on TechCrunch. yeah 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 so yeah. It's great. yeah it's great to see that uh sharing of information and seeing those large larger rounds being raised our fellow, you know, Latin American entrepreneurs. And so I think, you know, with with two, so I would say with PandoCap, there's sort of two values that that we're we're providing today. You know, one of them is continuing to share insights on the capital market. I'm continuing to share a lot of those things that are driving the markets today and and sharing that insight digitally. And then, you know, still supporting companies on their messaging around diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I think there's some very key things that companies can do just at a minimum to to help support this if they're truly I mean we've we've seen this be a narrative that has been brought up in the past but right. you know, over the past few months I think that hopefully it's not just words I think hopefully it is it is an a situation where they actually do more than than that and so I think some actionable things that companies can do right away is is just start having these conversations internally. If you know you don't have an, a head of social impact, a head of DNI, um, which are obviously new roles. I'm sure you have somebody on corporate social responsibility or somebody in your HR department that can really start looking at the landscape of what the makeup of your company is and looking at you know what what is our diverse makeup. And to be quite honest, a lot of companies that IPO now that is a big conversation for them. Who's on your board? How many women do you have on your board? What does your executive level look like? You know, what's the diversity of it? And it's very important because as you develop that and go public, that is something that will attract new investors and different investors who mm -hmm. care about uh, ESG is the term, um, the environment, environmental social governance. So those are all things that um, really build opportunity, not only to have a fantastic culture, but also to build diversity of thought and, and then allow additional opportunity for investment. So, you know, 
creating that awareness internally is the first step. And then getting executive sponsorship behind you. Your leaders have to support those initiatives. Everybody has to be involved. That's very important because a lot of times uh, companies or different you know, groups will start their own, um, you know, whether it's a Latino group or you know, a, a community that supports African-Americans, Asians, any group. If you don't have that executive sponsorship, it's going to be really hard to integrate that throughout the organization. So I would encourage all founders, all companies to really make sure that it's a conversation. If you don't have somebody leading that conversation, make sure you have executive involvement to support it. And then the, the most important thing is sharing that with your clients and your customers and, and let them know that this is something that you stand behind. And the easiest way to do it is by uh, sharing your numbers online in some capacity, you know, uh, share a diversity makeup of your organization. And it's okay if it's not great today, as long as you're taking those steps to show transparency on where it is, it's, you know, it's something that I think people will respect and that they'll see that you're taking the initiative to show a lot of those metrics. And so we're helping community share that thought leadership digitally through PandoCap. We're also providing guidance internally on how to develop that and have those conversations. And we're also providing maybe how to outline that ongoing through your employee network. So that guidance is something that we offer and something that I'm very passionate about and, and happy to highlight that to any organization that's interested. That's great, Laura. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, as we know, it's needed. We need that transparency. We need to take those initial steps and really foster that conversation and, uh, and make those commitments. And then lastly, we have to hold people accountable as well. And so how are those efforts being tracked? How are they being measured? Right? What are those metrics around it on a year-over-year basis? And so that we can see the the progress that's being made. And that's from a company perspective. And, you know, I know you and I have spoken about the lack of diversity on boards, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, what, what are some of the things that we can do there as we have these different diverse communities? How can we participate? You know, what's, what's the actions that we can take in order to, to really show that representation? Well, I, that's a great question because I was just on a fantastic panel for, um, I hosted a panel for, women on corporate boards or, or women on, on boards in general. And I, I've had um, Betsy Berkemer, who actually wrote the legislation in California to allow, um, to make it uh, a law in California to have more women on boards. Now, she doesn't know if this law is going to actually expand across the U.S., but in California, it's a law now that you have to have a um, woman on a public board. I think it's two. And so obviously there's a lot of women who are, are trying to get on those public boards. So there's three things that she outlined that you can do to get on a public board that I thought was really great insight. Number one, it's better for you to look in the industry that you're a part of. So for example, if you're in entertainment and you want to get on a public board in entertainment, it's really good to kind of again, network within the entertainment industry and share that instead of trying to break out and maybe go into healthcare and try to be on a public board for healthcare, right? So it's really utilizing the thing that you're really um, involved in and try to bring that knowledge to that board. 
Um, number two is be ready. Be ready. So have your, your board bio, have all of the information that you need on what makes you special and what, and what you bring to the table on a board. So be ready for those conversations and let people know that you're looking because mm -hmm. a lot of times, you know, you're looking and you, you tell certain people, but you have to let your network know, Hey, I'm actually looking, I want to be on a board in this industry. And that kind of just leads into the last point of networking because these are all confidential conversations. There is no, you know, board public website that, that tells you all about who's looking for a board member. Um, I think right now you can just easily do it yourself because you go to any public company and see, hey, what's their board makeup? If it's all men, you know they're going to need to legally on a woman in California. So, and if that's the industry you want to get involved in, um, I heard a great story from, from somebody who joined the board of Peloton and she had her mind set on that and she wanted to, to be on Peloton and she, you know, and that was, again, she networked, she was ready, she made the ask and she did all of those key, key things to, to try to get to that stage. So, um, so I would just, you know, continue to, to do that and then if you can't make those introductions yourself you should reach out to people who you feel can as, as they say you know bring that chair to the table right yeah i think i've seen more um, advertisements in my linkedin feed around uh board training mm -hmm. yeah see more and more and i think goldman sachs just made a requirement too so that if you're looking to go public you need to have two directors that are uh, women as well yeah, yeah, I saw that as well, which speaking of going public, we can we can pivot into all the IPOs that have just filed to go public this year. <laughs> yeah, there's been quite a few. I think it's picking up again. No, thank you for sharing that. And I think, um, you know, again, go back, going back to your website, you know, hopefully people can find some resources on, you know, where you can point them in the right direction. But let's, let's step back to being able to just educate our diverse communities around investing, you know, what are some of those, those steps people should take? You know, I know you mentioned a, a couple of companies, you know, the Robin Hood, et cetera. And so starting with investing 101, you know, how do, what, what should people do in order to just become more knowledgeable? Yeah, well, I think, you know, again, I, I'm very careful with, with providing investment advice, but I'm all, I also just want to share again, what is actually happening? There's, there's everything that has to do with the financial markets, but then there's the capital markets, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think what you can easily do, as I mentioned earlier, is if you're very passionate about an organization and you know that it's a private organization, let's say like Robinhood, Robinhood is a company that it has provided a platform for a lot of the younger community. And imagine Robinhood it filed for an IPO, so they're going to go public. So because you use their product, you see their product, you know they're gonna file for an IPO, that would be a great opportunity for someone to say, hey, here's, here's an area where I could par participate and have mm -hmm. access to this if you have the capital to do so. And when companies IPO, you know, I encourage all my friends to pay attention to what's coming out on the public markets because I think that's the easiest way for you to take that opportunity to invest because they usually go out at a very, you know, 
low bar entry and you don't, it doesn't take a lot to, to get involved. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, today alone, I can give you some stats. This year, there's been 109 IPOs that have priced for a pandemic year. That's pretty phenomenal. Um, that's, you know, 4% higher than last year. 13 companies this week alone filed for IPOs, including big names like Snowflake, uh, Palantir, Unity, Corsair, JFrog, Airbnb, Asana. So that's where I would start. So when you see that, you know, when you hear about these things and you, you hear it on maybe CNBC, you, if you register for TechCrunch or any of these, a uh, Wall Street Journal or any of these financial publications, they'll share that information of these companies that are getting ready to go public and, you know, have filed their S1. And so, so you understand how that process works. These companies have been preparing for this moment for a long time. They start preparing for an IPO two to three years prior, right? So they, they have their mindset on something that's going to happen. And again, they'll go based on when the markets allow them. So obviously earlier this year, um, I was actually covering Airbnb at NASDAQ and we thought they were going to go out earlier this year, but because of the pandemic and everybody saw what happened there, right. you know, they, they pulled back. So although they, they were ready, they didn't go because of the fact of all of these external influences that were occurring. So right now, these 13 companies uh, that have filed feel like it's a good opportunity for them to go public. And it also allows just a retail investor, an everyday person to take advantage of participating in that. And I think that that is the, the easiest way that people can actually have access today to participate in creating wealth and investment for their own. And right now, investing in equities is, is pretty amazing. Um, the markets are really efficient you've seen some amazing growth um, across the board, as I mentioned, you know, like the NASDAQ has reached new, new levels. Um, so I would just, again, consult with your uh, advisor or just do a lot of research on the company. I would take it if it's your first time investing, I would, you know, just do it in small chunks. Um, and, but it's really exciting to see that these companies are now coming to the public markets and you can actually own part of that. And that's, that's an area where I'm excited and I feel that that barrier to entry has, um, has been made easy for not only the younger generation, but everyone to participate on platforms like Robinhood. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to do it alone, you know, join an investment club. You know, I think there's many out there and then there's that new platform uh, called public.com where you yeah. can buy fractional shares and then they make the investment investment investing social so there's a whole plethora of uh, new services and tools that people can use and and you know these companies like i said to to reach the the moment that a company is going to ipo i mean there's so much work that goes into getting to this moment it's truly an amazing moment i, I mean i've been again an entrepreneur myself so those are, you go through so much to get to that level. So understand that there's a lot of requirements 
that happen to be on the public markets. So with that, you can feel um, somewhat comfortable that people and their advisors and their lawyers and their auditors have all done some good due diligence and you know they're being backed by investors and then finally by the exchange to bring them to the public market so that you have an opportunity to invest in them and, and participate. So although, you know, like I mentioned, their journey starts two to three years to go public, mm -hmm. you know, their development as a company has been going on for, you know, six to seven, now 10 years as we're seeing more companies stay private. Right. And that, that's a whole nother topic of companies staying private longer because um, I think, you know, some people are scared of going public because of the fact of all of the requirements that are needed to, to be public. But it truly makes, uh, you know, a, a sound company and, and the governance around that is, is important. I think there are some areas where the, uh, the, pub, the SEC is going to help companies um, tap the public markets a little bit. So they're changing some of the requirements around how to go public so that it's easier. So you're seeing a lot of SPACs right now. Everybody's like talking about this new way to go public, which is actually an old way to go public, mm -hmm. but it's an easier way for companies to, they basically go under a shell company and um, are, allow them to go public, but, um, or direct listings you're hearing a lot about, um, which I think is the, the path that um, Asana and Palantir are, are doing that allows the public to dictate what the pricing is going to be. Um, and, and then there's a combination of those two, which is what Google did back in the day with the Dutch immersion. So there's a lot of different ways that companies can go public. And so I think having that access to be able to do that as a company and then be able to go public is, is something that's, that S the SEC is working with entrepreneurs to help provide that so it's easier to be a public company. Well, we're seeing some questions around just mentorship for Latinx and especially uh, Latinas that want to get into the capital markets. You know, so how do you get that mentorship? You know, how do you access uh, that leadership to learn more? Yeah, so I would say if you work for a company in, in the financial markets, I would start with, again, participating in any capacity within the organization that you can to learn about other aspects of just your role and really, you know, find somebody else who can help guide you. Like I know, I know there's some companies right now that are going public and a lot of their employees don't know what, what it means and how, you know, what they do with their stock options and how they should exercise them. What do they do after the lockup period? So if you're with a company that has uh, equity and gives you this, I would just start going to your senior leadership and asking questions around that. Um, you know, that's a, a great way to get good education at wherever you are to, to understand what happens, what happens there. So with your HR or your leadership team should be able to provide, provide you information around that. Um, again, and that's in any company that offers that to you. Um, and I think that's, a, again, a big uh, move on the company's part because that will help you think as an owner internally and provide that guidance to you again to understand the capital markets. If you're not in that world and you don't know anything about um, the financial markets, 
I would say just start uh, either joining one of uh, one of the financial subscriptions like Axios, Wall Street Journal. Um, there's so many right now that are trying to combine all of that wonderful information in one point and Bestopedia. Um, there's so much online information that you can, uh, you know, read through. And there's some uh, organizations that have made it simple. I'm a big fan of the Morning Brew right now, uh, but they also have a, a section called Business Casual that talks a lot about the capital markets. Follow CNBC every single day. They will tell you everything that's going on, companies that are going public, companies that you should think about. And then, you know, obviously what's happening with the markets and some of the things that are impacting them. So those are all great resources if there's not, you know, a direct mentor or somebody that you can ask. And I'm always, you know, happy to, to share information. Follow pandocap.co. I give an update on the markets every um, Monday and Friday. And again, try to be as, as, as simplified as possible. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on uh, Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. So I, I try to address all the different platforms in, in a very different way to really reach that audience that is having you know, trouble really connecting with the Wall Street insiders, as I like to call them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, the other thing that we've talked about, too, is just more women in roles of the CEO, another area of opportunity, right? If you are at some of these companies, you know, how do you best find those mentors and have access to those opportunities to be part of that C-level leadership? And so, I mean, last count, there was, what, 38 out of 500 that had a woman CEO, and so... Well, one, one thing um, that I think people can do, and, I, and I've had this done for me, and this was, this was a moment that I will always remember. So I remember there was a moment when I was at NASDAQ that um, there was a big uh, conference, and it was actually a VC conference, um, and it was a women's VC conference, and there was one of our senior leaders was going to introduce to the Wall Street Journal to all of the VCs and some very influential founders um, in that community. Uh, They were gonna introduce the programming, they were gonna discuss uh, some of the updates with the markets, et cetera. So uh, our CEO uh, at the time, or she's still there actually, um, she she told this senior leader um, that she wanted to give uh, her to give that discussion. And then she actually said that she uh, thought, and she gave all the reasons why it would be better to give me that opportunity. So she felt that, you know, she she you know gets that spotlight quite a bit because she's on the leadership team. Right. So she positioned me to actually be put in that light, um, and gave me that opportunity to speak to this audience and to share what I was representing. And that was a huge opportunity for me because that allowed you know, all of the, the network that supported NASDAQ, the founders, the information that I was you know, sharing with them. Then they saw me as a leader and gave me opportunities in that network. But that's something that I'll never forget. And I think that we need to do more of that. So when you see people in your organization when you see women who 
you know are capable and you can bring them up to senior leaders or you can provide that opportunity for them, I think it's absolutely crucial to champion them and to share your perspective. Um, and you know, also because many times they won't, they, they, they have the imposter syndrome, which I I've had before. So, so, you know, maybe it's just a little nudge of saying, Hey, we think you're, you'd be great for this. And here's X, Y, and then sharing that with senior leaders. That's an easy way to help bring that visibility um, and shine a light on someone else. If you think that they're capable of doing that. And I will never forget that moment. Um, and she, I saw what she did and I thanked mm -hmm. her for it. Yeah. I mean, that's so important as we like to pull others uh, along with us and you know, help create additional opportunities as we continue to open more doors. Yeah. We're uh, getting close to the hour. What about uh, some personal call to actions, Laura? Yeah. So uh, gosh, so some personal call to actions for me, um, right now is just really tough, I think, for everybody. So I think really taking that moment to connect uh, not only with the, the people at your organization, um, you spend, spend time reaching out to, to leadership, make sure they're spending time with you, uh, and then make sure you have that support group outside of, of work that you can talk to um, and maybe see if they're in your in your bubble that you know you're keeping safe and and really just try to to have those resources and it's it's really hard right now because you know the normal ways that you would connect with people um, are just not there um, but I think just being able to stay stay connected and in on a virtual way whether it's just texting somebody I try to make an um, I try to make it a point to try to text um, my friends, family, and and uh, someone in my network on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And that way I can continue to stay connected and know what's happening, um, not only on the work front, but also on the personal front because everything is so intertwined, right? All of the things are kind of driving everything together. The civil unrest, the election, the election, yes, you know, that's the call, the action, action. <laughs> what that's was I thinking? The election, yes. Yeah, so uh, to everybody uh, on the line, we have um, a big effort around Vota Con Amor, or Vote With Love. And uh, we are making sure that we have a big turnout, again, bipartisan, just making sure that it's, that you're registered, making sure that you vote, and we'll be launching our campaign efforts on um, September 14th. And you can go to PandoCap on the Hispanic Heritage event. And that's where we'll have all the call to actions there on voting. Um, but then just sharing all the information again, bipartisan, just more around education on the local level with your community and what it, what it means um, to vote for you and, and really mobilizing that. So. So that's that's a, a great end there because that's a great call to action. I I totally forgot about Vota Con Amor, which um, is something I'm very passionate about. Yeah, well, thank you. One final question as we wrap up our conversation here. What's, in addition to Pando Cap and your personal work, 
what's one additional way that we can uh, innovate in our community for our planet? I think just being mindful and empathetic right now, right? I mean, I'm I'm worried right now about the the world because of everything that's going on specifically here in California and the fires and um, how that's impacting everybody and you know how are we going to address that right so I think that the biggest way you can in innovate is educate yourself and participate uh, participate in understanding what's actually what you can do to help if if not solve it just help you know create a community where you can brainstorm and maybe potentially come up with some answers. Well, thank you, Laura, dear friend. Thanks again for joining our first of the series in Innovate Moss. And thank you again to Shack 15 for their partnership and allowing us this opportunity and all the champions and supporters along the way in making this a reality. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next Conversations podcast coming soon. If you have a story that needs to be shared, we'd love to hear from you. For more information on Shack 15 and our community, you can email info at shack15.com, connect with us on Instagram, or visit our website at shack15.com.